0: Well, I'm excited this morning because a friend of mine is joining us today. This is Matt McLeod. Matt is a high school basketball coach. He also coaches for an organization called Point Guard College and is a father of four and got an amazing wife. And Matt and I met last summer. We went to one of their camps in Dallas, my two oldest kids, and he is the camp director of that particular Uh, Dallas uh, region uh, camp, And, and I'll tell you, when I walked in and didn't know what to expect, never been to one of these, and I was going as an observing coach, and Uh, I saw Matt interacting with everyone and and just saw just there's something about him. Like he's got a charisma and I can see the way he's interacting, but there was something more than just a guy with charisma. And I I leaned over not long after the camp started and I whispered to McKenna, my daughter, and said, this dude's a believer. We're going to find out in a minute, but I think he's a follower of Jesus. I can just something about him. And then of course, a couple hours later over lunch, um, within five minutes of the conversation, uh, he's open about being a follower of Jesus, found out where we were and, and just struck up a, a conversation that really is uh, morphing into a friendship. We have stayed in contact through the summer, went to another camp with my kids that, um, that Matt directed. Um, and I'm just, I've, I've just learned so much, not just about basketball, but by leadership uh, from this guy. And uh, it's great to have you today. Matt, you guys welcome Matt um, this morning. Thank you. So good to be here this morning. So we're in this series called Life in the Arena, and I, I told Matt way back when I was kind of visioning this series, and I was like, I don't know if it's all going to work out, um, but I would love for you to come and just share kind of a little bit about your story, about what God is doing in your life, how He's using you uh, in the world of sports to impact the kingdom, um, and it just kind of worked out. He is in town this weekend with Brandon Shaver, who's one of our members. Megan just sang earlier on stage. He is a bas- basketball coach at Pine Tree. Um, high school and has brought Matt in to do a, a three-day clinic. And I was like, all right, we're in the series that actually I talked to you about. And uh, so Matt is here today. So Matt, thank you for being here. And uh, so I want to just kick off this question. You, you know, you're, It's obvious that you have a walk with Jesus, but you and I have a very similar background, sports uh, growing up, church growing up, coming to faith later in life, or, or at least coming to follow Jesus later in life. Tell us about your faith journey. Of what, when was it that Jesus became the most important person in your life?
1: Absolutely. First of all, isn't is your pastor awesome?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's yeah. Questionable. Questionable. Well, in my opinion, you are. I'm um, afraid. Actually, that, that Monday that we first met at the camp, and typically we go really our our, our camps go from about eight thirty in the morning until about ten o'clock at night. So when I go back to the room at ten o'clock at night, I'm done. And to so be able just text my wife, let her know I'm good, I'm alive, I'm going to sleep, I'll talk to her the next day. Um, but that night, I sent her a one-sentence text. And I don't think I told you that until the first service when I shared That's it. Right. Yeah, the look on your face, I was like, oh, my fault. <laughs> I sent her one, I said, I think I just made a new friend, question mark. <laughs> and it was just so evident so quickly. Um, just the spirit of God was just so alive in Utah. I'm so thankful that, uh, that we got to hang out and now we're here this morning. Uh, but my, my story um, is one where I grew up in an amazing home. Both of my parents um, are, have been around. They've been in my life the whole time. They're still married and, and live 10 miles away from us. And I had the opportunity to go to a Christian school. I've got four siblings, just like both sets of grandparents around. Like everything was this like ideal Western American life growing up. And what I didn't realize at the time, and I came to realize later in life, is that early in my walk with the Lord, it wasn't actually my walk. All I was doing, like, like every young kid, right, every, if you're a parent in the room, you know that our children, when they're, when they're little, all they really know to do is what they see. And so whatever we do as parents, they repeat as children. And that's how my relationship with the Lord came. Like, my dad was a pastor, and my mom played the p- piano for worship service, and my grandparents went, and they talked about it. And so I just followed along. And even though I can tell you right now, the moment, the day, even the seat I was sitting in, the first time I prayed the sinner's prayer and the second time and the third time, and the, <laughs> I was just focused on the wrong things. I was focused on this pleasing my heavenly father and every time I made a mistake, I felt like he was waiting up in heaven with this Thor-like thunderbolt to throw it down and just end me in that moment. And so I was so scared to make a mistake that eventually I just got to the point where I was like, forget this. If, if making a mistake is gonna separate from a God, I know I'm not perfect, I'm gonna make mistakes my whole life. And even though the word tells us in contrary of my belief system, I just, I just said, I'm gonna do my own thing. So for a couple of years of my life when I was early in college, even though I was attending a Christian school and, and going to my theology classes that I had to take, my life looked very different than the things I said I believed or who I wanted to become. And so I was just very, very thankful. There was a, a moment where a friend of mine, we were both making the wrong choices and we hadn't been to church in probably almost a year. And one Sunday afternoon, we were watching football together in the dorm room. We were hiding out, and he just turned and looked at me and said, you think we ought to go to church tonight? (laughs) I don't know if any of you have ever experienced in the room, but I all of a sudden had an out-of-body experience. It's like I was standing in the doorway watching what I was saying and couldn't believe the words were actually coming out of my mouth. And what I said in the moment was this. I was like, sure, man, we should definitely go to church. But we haven't been doing that for a year. Why should we start going now? And it's just the moment when I said that, his eyes, his face changed. My eyes, my face changed. And we just realized that we were the ones separating ourselves from this amazing relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we got our stuff together. We went to a church service that night. It was geared for college students just like us. And we walk in the, in the, in the theater, similar, actually similar size to this. And we're sitting right in the middle of, the, of the, the center section. And everyone sitting around us is making similar choices. Because we all make mistakes. We all fall short. But there in the moment, like, people knew us. Like, they knew who we really were. And I even remember one, one, one guy coming up to me and say, Matt, what are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, I'm kind of wondering the same thing right now. <laughs> anyway, halfway through the, the, the message, the, the woman who was speaking just stopped. And she said, listen, what I'm about to do may be uncomfortable for some of you. And even it's, it's really uncomfortable for me because I don't do things like this. But God won't stop telling me that there are two males sitting in this room and you have no idea why you're here. Hmm. And my buddy and I just looked at each other, and as these two rough, tough 21-year-olds, we started bawling like babies. And I'm just so thankful for that moment where God said, hey, Matt, I don't really care about what you do. I care so much more about who you are. And that's that amazing love that we have from every Father. It's more about who we are than what we do with our life on a daily basis.
0: It's incredible. And I think that the solidifying of your faith, knowing that God knew where you were, And it wasn't by accident, and um, he had a plan for you to be there that night. And that that set kind of a fire in your heart to begin to reorder your life to pursue Christ because of who you are in him, Um, which led you to uh, not necessarily wanting to be a basketball coach, but ended up eventually becoming that. Um, But one of the things that I I love about you and and what you do with sports, it's not about basketball, it's about um, Jesus being seen in you. And so where, where did that switch come on for you, where you made the connection between your vocation as a coach, being in line with your mission as a follower of Jesus? And so when did that transition happen, and why is that so important to you? For sure,
1: I know for the longest time, I believed that my vocation and my calling were synonymous. They were the same thing. Whatever God had called me to do, that means there was a specific certain vocation that I must live out. And so even from the time when I was 14 to 15 years old having summer jobs, I would change my job about every four or six weeks. And because I kept feeling like, okay, I don't feel like this is what God has called me to do. I got to go find something else. And I was chasing after this, this moment, this vocation, this thing. And it, it just really bubbled over into every area of my life. And I think I mentioned in a previous service, I changed my major seven times in college because I was like, God's called me to this major. Two weeks later, no, he hasn't, we'll call Like, my advisor was so tired of seeing me. Just shut her door, you figure it out on your own. And so it just came after, but then there was actually a moment where we were living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was working in college athletics, not coaching, but um, working behind the scenes. And it was a great job, enjoyed it, got to travel the world, see cool places. And I just remember coming home one night and telling my wife, Emily, I feel like I'm missing my kingdom calling, and there's something else out there. Like, as cool as it is, what I get to do and the place I get to go and the things I get to experience, there's more than just this. And God in His divine wisdom, I got a phone call the blue a couple weeks later. I said, "Hey, are you ever interested in moving down to Victoria, Texas?" And I said, "Where is that?" <laughs> not originally from Texas, grew up on the East Coast. And but all of a sudden, not only it was only three weeks later that we moved from Tulsa, Oklahoma, down to Victoria, Texas, for me to become a, a teacher and a coach. And as we we're going through that process, I was letting one of the pastors on the staff of the church that we attended know what was going on. And I'll never forget his response. His response was really mean. He came at me and told me that I was missing what God's best was for my life, that we were called to be a part of the church. And the ministry that we'd already started there was what God had for us. I was getting phone calls and texts and and knocks on my door where he would show up. And, And in his heart of hearts, I know he was trying to mentor me and help me. But that situation going through it was the moment I realized that my vocation and my calling were not the same thing. Because as we were making the decision of what we were supposed to do, and I was struggling with this, because again, I, I'm a people pleaser way too often in my life. Maybe I'm the only one in the room, but it happens way too often. And I felt like I was missing something. He was older than me, wiser than me. He should hear from God better than I do. And in that moment, maybe no one else would have heard the audible voice. I swear, it was an audible voice that I heard that said, It's not about his relationship with me, it's about yours. Mm. Said, Okay, God. And so we moved. And so that just became now, it's not about what I do every day. Like, I had this tight, firm grip, a white-knuckle approach that I had to do something great, special. God God has this one. What is it? What is it? What is it? And it's amazing. In that moment when I just opened my hands and let go and said, okay, God, I'm going to focus on who I am to you and our relationship over what I do, the doors that have been opened, the opportunities that I've had, the, the people that I've come in contact with, the stages I've been on are things I never could have done otherwise. And it was really cool because again that moment where a church leader had just kind of misguided me, and, and again I'm no better than that. I'm sure I've misguided people at times, and, and trying to do what was best. About four years later, I got a phone call, and I, I was I was sure it was a butt dial, right? Because I looked at my phone, and it was that pastor, and we had had no contact, no relationship, anything since then. I don't even think we were Facebook friends at the time, a long time ago. And I answered the phone, and he said, "Hey, Matt," and I was like, "Didn't expect to get a phone call from you today." <laughs> really transparent. He said, hey, yeah. do you remember how everything kind of went down between us? Yeah, I do. He said, well, I just want to call and apologize. He said, I was just going th- went through a similar situation. I've moved my family halfway across the country. I know it's what God called us to do, but nobody in my li- else in my life feels that way. For the last two months, I've been told, don't move, don't do this, don't go, you're missing out, but I know that I know that I know that this is what God mm-hmm. has called my family to do. He said, I just want to call and apologize. Wow. And in that moment, it just showed me that, hey, who, overdue, is always the most important thing, and when we make mistakes, it's okay, we apologize, we move on, we fix it, and we go. But just that concept of who, overdue, has completely transformed and changed my life.
0: And I wanna press into that, because I, I really think, Matt, one of the things that we, at least in our culture, we attach our identity to what we do, Absolutely. and so like, you know, when I introduced you a second ago, this is Matt McLeod, he's a basketball, he's actually not, he's a disciple of Jesus who happens to coach basketball. But what we most of us do with our life is that we place our identity in our vocation. And then we get into the box of thinking that our, our worth and value is dependent upon our success or failure in that thing that we do because that's where identity is found. And I think it's, it's important what you're saying about finding your purpose in life and who you are then no matter what it is you do, your vocation may change from time to time, but who you are hasn't changed. So how is one? Why is that so important to you? And how have you found balance in that? Because even in the sports world specifically, it's all wins and losses, right? Your identity sometimes can be attached to that. How do you keep that balance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at First Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Timothy one
1: nine says this: God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. Hmm. And that verse really puts everything together for me. We get so focused on our works, what we do, our vocation. Like Todd said, I'm Coach Matt to so many people in my life, and that's the first thing. I'm not Matt, I'm Coach Matt. But that really focuses things on my purpose and my calling in life. And right there in second, Timothy, talks about it's not our purpose in, in, in the things they have. It's God's purpose, and it's his calling on our life. And so that just really, really opened my eyes. And there was a moment where I, I, I really just— like I said before, that, that word who, and then like a line, almost like a fraction, and the word do underneath it. My wife is a math teacher, so I think maybe that's where it came from. And so many times when we, when we see things a certain way, we might be focused on the, on the, the right things, but at the wrong times. Mm. And I do think vocation is important. Like whether we're, we're a pastor of a church or a basketball coach, or if, we're, if we, we sell cars or we mop floors somewhere, through our vocation, we can change lives in radical ways. But when we focus on the vocation over who we are, we miss out on so many opportunities. Mm, That's awesome. And just for me, even think like of a large number, like like a number like 10,000 is a big number. But all of a sudden, when you put that over another number like 5,000, it just cuts it in half. And I think so many times, at least for me in my life, because I let the do be my focus, it just changes and minimizes who I could be for Christ, and so really Matt now on a daily basis and
0: not always perfect, we just try to make sure who is always over the do. That's awesome. One of the things that, that Matt does that I, I just have been overwhelmed with every time I get a chance to be under his teaching is just the leadership development, the way in which you, you pour into uh, student athletes, coaches um, from a college level all the way down um, to, to high school, junior high. So, tell, and then throwing this, up, this is a curveball question. I haven't asked you this in two services. Um, so w- what are some practical approaches that you take to keep that who as a priority. In other words, when you engage with people, when you host a camp, when you're engaging with that student, what are some of the things that, that you do intentionally in order to be the light in that moment? Does that make sense? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, uh, with our organization, PGC Basketball, our mission statement, we're not a Christian basketball organization, although many of us are believers within the organization. Our mission statement is to be a light that shapes the basketball world. And I think within this room, we understand exactly what that light means. And so I've just found that Every morning when I wake up and just remind myself, hey, it's not about you. It's not about what you're doing. It's about who he is. And even though that's really simple, it sounds really simple, it's really complex to get that done. It's not as easy as we think because we get distracted and we lose focus. And so that's the word that I come back to all times, the word focus. I was actually reading a book recently, and I learned something really cool. If If a pilot takes off from Los Angeles with a destination set for New York City, All he or she would have to do is change the degree by three and a half degrees. Just change their course by three and a half degrees. And instead of landing in New York, you would land in Washington, D.C. That's a big difference. But three and a half degrees doesn't sound like very much. And so I think as as all of us, whoever we are called to be, is that what we're focusing on? Mm. One thing I talk to athletes all the time is wherever your focus goes, your energy flows. And so if we're only focused on doing certain things, all of our energy goes into the next job, the promotion, our money, the bigger house, another boat, whatever it is that we're pursuing after. But if our focus is on who we are in Christ,
0: those other things become less important. I love it. So you, the quote is, because I, now, a couple of weeks ago I quoted in a sermon, you never rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your preparation. Anybody remember that statement? That was actually quoting Coach, quoting Coach Matt on that, um, On that. so thank you for that. But you gave another quote, I love it. Uh, I've not heard you say that. So where your focus goes. Well,
1: where your attention goes, okay. your energy flows. And so I think that's just so important for us every day, like what are we focused on? Where is our attention going? And for me, I think my attention was always future focused. Right, going back to that word, you know, what is my calling, what am I supposed to do with my life? And so doing something is like in the future. But I think, you know, Todd's so cool. Being a dad, I've learned so much more about our relationship with Christ being a dad to my own kids. Jeez. And so right now, my son Wesley is 11 years old, and we have this awesome relationship that is forming. And But right now, if, if I look at him, and even if he said, hey, dad, I feel like I'm supposed to be a pastor one day. A big man, awesome. If God's telling you that, let's do it. But at 11, I don't think he could really grow a congregation, right? So if it's all about doing and what our vocation is, Does that mean we can't really fulfill our calling in our life to a certain age or certain resources, certain level? But I know right now God is way more concerned with my relationship with my son and my daughters on a daily basis than he is what job I pull up to or what name is on the top of my paycheck. And I think that's where our focus needs to be. Who are we and how can we impact those people in our lives on a daily basis?
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. And this is one of the reasons I wanted them in front of you guys. Take a few minutes of his day. Um, He's been here all now, three hours now, and he's got a coach again tonight. I think we got to bed last night. I think we shut things down like 10.45 at my house. So um, I appreciate Matt being here. Cool cool little story, a second ago, after the 9.30 service, uh, some of y'all know Kelly Bushanik, part of our church family, um, comes up to Matt, and um, she was his childhood babysitter
1: in New York. In Buffalo, New York, when I was four,
0: five, and six years old when she was in high school. Small world, I guess. That's crazy. That's nuts. So listen, I wanna do something for Matt. Um, he has got a busy summer. They're cranking up in, in full throttle all of their camps. He's gonna be traveling uh, all over the nation, uh, impacting kids all over the world this summer, uh, not to mention, you know, he like said, his family and, and his wife, you know, leading them well. Let's do something. Let's pray for Coach Matt, and I'm gonna get you, do me a favor, I'm gonna pray out loud. I'm gonna get y'all to stretch your hand out just toward him, so as I pray aloud, Uh, you just pray in your heart. Ask God to bless him, give him a great fruitful summer and to continue to remember the who uh, before the do. Father, we love you and I thank you for my friend. I thank you for the impact that he's making in the world. God, I pray, Lord, that as you have anchored him in his identity, God, I pray that whatever challenges are in front of him, whatever decisions need to be made, whatever uh, obstacles, Lord, he faces in these weeks and months to come, I pray, God, that by the power of your spirit, that he would be anchored in the finished work of Christ and the resurrection as his hope um, and who he is in Christ as his identity. And Lord, I pray protection over his family. I pray for open doors all summer long with, with college uh, coaches and high school coaches and, and college uh, athletes and, and high school athletes you would just give him wisdom as he leads and cares for them. Uh, give him divine conversations that would lead to uh, gospel Moments for these individuals. Well, we love you. Thank you for this man. I pray you'll continue to bless him in Jesus' name. You guys, give Pastor or give Coach Matt a hand as he goes to his seat. I was thinking, Matt, Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt. And what a great job! So I'm going to do something before I jump into the sermon, because I know the world he's in, coaching every single day, being engaged with high school students. I want to take a moment and just pray for all of our educators in the room. Uh, all of our educators in the room. So, if you work in the school system in any capacity, I'm going to ask you stand. I know it's probably uncomfortable. Stand if you if would uh, to your feet. Uh, that would, yeah. Thank you, thank you for the boldness there. All over this place, uh, yeah. Let's thank you for what you do. And I know this last year has been a challenge for you. Uh, you're coming to the home stretch of the semester. If you're in administration, it means the work really begins uh, when the kids all go home. But we wanna pray over you, that the Lord would give you the energy to finish the year strong, um, and just that God would bless you, as you have seen in a testimony this morning through um, uh, Coach Matt, that it's not about what you do, it's about who you are in Christ, and that every day the challenges that you face, that you would remember who you are. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for every educator that's standing. Uh, God, whatever capacity that they serve, this community and their school, bless them richly. Lord, pour your greatest blessings upon them, God. Give them energy to finish strong uh, this semester, and God, that they would find rest in you. And God, help them remember, Lord, they are anchored in their identity as followers of Jesus uh, more than they are their wins and losses, more than they are their scores in their classrooms or any other expectation that might be placed upon them. Bless them richly. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, I'm gonna do something this morning uh, in our time in the Word together. I'm gonna get you to grab your Bibles and go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I never preach sitting down, and so we'll see how this works. I may end up running around before it's all over with. But I wanted to bring more of of a focused conversation as we come to week four in our series called Life in the Arena, as we've heard testimony of Coach Matt living his life in the arena, living his life for the glory of God. And I wanna talk about Really, in this passage, it's a very difficult few verses of Scripture that we're going to look at, and the reason it's difficult is not because they're hard to understand. In fact, let me say it like this. The reason they're difficult is because they're easy to understand, and it's what we learn in these verses of Scripture that make these passages difficult. It confuses us of what we often think about when we think about Christianity, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to hear the voices of the martyrs. And so, week one of our series, we saw the den of lions. We saw Daniel in lion's den. We saw the the, the the furnace of fire and learned about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Last week, we we explored the council of death and saw Peter and John there before the council. And this morning, in Hebrews eleven, I want to take just a couple of minutes and talk about the voice of the martyr, the voice of the martyr. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're really finding a section of scripture that's often called, check this out, the Hall of Faith. The reason we call it the Hall of Faith is because it records some of the most popular people in the scriptures. It tells the brief version of their story. And the whole purpose of this chapter. Is to tell about the radical faith that's required to be obedient to the calling of God in your life, to live your life in the arena, that you're gonna face opposition, that following Jesus is not always gonna be easy. It's gonna be difficult uh, quite often. But this section of scripture, this chapter, really is a part of a larger letter that's being written to a group of believers. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, it's an unnamed author. But he's writing to a group of believers who are suffering for Jesus. It is called following Jesus to these believers that are receiving the book of Hebrews. They're losing their jobs, they're losing their homes, they're being run out of their community. They're losing um, their sources of income. Many of them are being kicked out of their families. Others are are being imprisoned and beaten, even some being put to death. And because of the severity of the persecution, many of these Christians that he's writing to are considering leaving the faith altogether. Many of them uh, have already departed the faith. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this letter. Let me just give you a summary of what the the writer of Hebrews is communicating to his audience It would be simply this. If I summarize the entire book in a very oversimplistic, because this is one of the most complex books in the Bible, here's a simple summary. Endure in Christ because he is enough. Endure in Christ because he is enough. That Christ is your everything. He is sufficient. And he is more than enough. So, so endure, and so when we get to chapter 11, he's recording the great acts of faith, the, 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 those men and women who had to leave their home and, and take steps of faith to follow Jesus, those that, that, that had uh, situations in their life where God was calling them at times to do what everybody else around them told them was dumb. They were recording stories of, of those that God raised up to stand against opposition where the odds were not in their favor. And then there's gonna be a list that he's gonna give us that we really wanna skip over. But I believe he ends this chapter where we're gonna be this morning because there's a message that these martyrs wanna have for us today. So grab your Bibles. I'm gonna get you to turn to Hebrews 11. If you're there, say, I'm there. Let's go to verse 32. I'm gonna give you two lists, but we're gonna focus on the second, and I'll explain why in a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now stop here just for a minute. Like if we read this list, and it's talking about daring faith, bold faith. And we read the list of what these men and women experience. I think all of us would say, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. I want to go. You're talking about, we're going to put foreign armies to flight. We're going to escape the edge of the sword. We're going to quench the fire. We're going to shut the mouths of line. We're going to see, for crying out loud, people raised from the dead. I'm in with that. I want to see and be a part of those type of things. And we all would echo, hey, I want to do that. Let me be a part of that. The problem with that is that's not the end of the story. The list continues. Look what he goes on to say in verse number 35 but some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise to a, again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn into, they were killed with the sword. They went about in, in, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, I wanna I want show you for a moment the difference between the two lists that I read. Some defeated the enemy. Others were defeated by the enemy. Some escaped the sword. Others died by the sword. Some were able to be delivered from prison. Others died in prison. And what you find is, is that he's showing us on a holistic understanding of what is involved with the cost of following Jesus. You see, for a group of these people, all of them suffered, all of them had to face opposition, but for a group, listen, God's power miraculously was displayed in their life and God delivered them by his power from the suffering. But the other list, the other list, God did not miraculously show up and deliver them from their suffering. He miraculously showed up and delivered them through their suffering. And we gotta understand that in God's sovereignty, he chooses the outcome of suffering. He chooses the outcome of our circumstances that for some people, we're gonna go through hard things and we will never see the end of those hard seasons. There are others that are gonna see the healing and the deliverance, and they're gonna be overcomers on this side of eternity, but that's not the story for all of us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna just very briefly, in a very simple way, I wanna share with you the hope that I believe that these believers would have received when they received this letters, I wanna give you three phrases that we learned from the voice of the martyrs in this passage. I want you to write these down. We're gonna work through these very quickly, but I want this to be an encouragement. Some of you, you're going through circumstances right now and you can't see the end in sight. Some of you are going through suffering, persecuted, following Jesus is beginning to cost you and you don't know, man, have God forgotten me in this moment? I want you to be encouraged. Some of you, life is good and this is a season of peace. Um, and so I want you to know that it's not always gonna be like this. There are gonna be times of suffering and times of pain, times where following Jesus is gonna cost you, and I want you to be able to be sustained in those days when they come. So very quickly, what do we, we learn from the voice of these martyrs? Three things. Number one is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Listen to this. Following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus is costly. And you say, well, I know that. That's not profound. Oh, well, it's not profound, but when we hit those seasons and moments of suffering, we oftentimes act like it's a strange thing that's happening to us. But these, these martyrs are telling us, listen, following Jesus is costly. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible and have ever asked the question, why would he put that in there? Anybody ever do that? Like you read a story and there's something that's said and you're like, like where is the, what were they thinking in this moment? Well, that's the kind of the way I felt about this section of Scripture. Like think about it. The, the writer is trying to encourage believers to not quit, to not give up to stay the course that Jesus is sufficient, keep moving forward, even though they were facing crazy persecution and suffering. And yet in the middle of trying to encourage them, he tells them a number of stories like we just read where the outcome was not favorable. They died in prison, they suffered, they, they, they were tortured, all of those things that they went through. Why in the world would this writer who's trying to encourage believers to hang in there include these type of stories? And I believe the answer is simple. I believe he's trying to communicate to these believers who are suffering, hey, listen, you're not alone. You're not the first one that's ever gone through something like this. You're not alone in your suffering. What's happening to you is not uncommon. It's actually more common than you understand. You see, and what happens in our lives, oftentimes when we go through these seasons where our faith begins to cost us, we forget that Jesus was open and honest about what he said would come when we follow him. I want you to think about this. Luke chapter number 21, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Luke chapter 21, verse 16. Stay awake with me for a minute because you're gonna talk back to me in a moment. Ready? He says, and you will be delivered up, and you will be delivered up. Everybody say will. And you will be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. So think about this. He says, you're gonna be delivered up. As followers of Jesus, you're gonna be betrayed even by your own parents, He's telling these disciples, some of you are going to go to prison and suffer for me because your mom and dad turned you into the authorities. Your brothers and sisters are going to abandon Jesus and you're going to suffer at their hand. Your next door neighbor that you used to be in small group with, something's going to happen and they're going to walk away from the faith and you're going to be persecuted by them and because of them think about the weight of what Jesus is saying here. He says, some of you, uh, they will put into prison. Others of you, they'll put to death. Look what he says in verse 17. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Everybody say will. Everybody say "All." all. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Look what Jesus says again in John chapter 15, verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if if the world hates you, hey, you're in good company because before the world hated you, the world hated me. And let me tell you why the world hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world and I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that a servant is not, what I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will. Everybody say will. They will also persecute you. You see what Jesus is saying here? He says, listen, the servant's not greater than the master. If they they persecuted the master of the home, what do you think they're gonna do to the servants of the home? And he says, the reason the world is gonna hate you is because the world hates me. If you were of the world, it would embrace you as its own. So pause for a moment, let me ask you this question. Does the world see enough of Jesus in you to have a problem with you? Ask yourself that question. Does the world see enough of Jesus in you to have a problem with you? Because if the world hates Jesus and Jesus is in you, but you're not facing at times opposition because of your faith, it might be because the world sees you looking more like them than him. That's just food for thought. I'll let Jesus deal with the rest of that. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, his apprentice, as he's empowering him to take over the ministry. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all, everybody say all. You think that we're driving a point home here? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. Now, how many of you would raise your hand and say, I want to live a godly life? Some of you are like, I'm not so sure how this is going down. I'm not raising my hand. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. So if you raise your hand, here's the outcome. Listen to this. For all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will, everybody say will, will be persecuted. What are the voice of the martyrs telling us? Following Jesus is costly. And here's the thing I want you to know. Jesus has not pulled a bait and switch. Jesus never promised our best life now. Jesus never promised that you follow me, life gets easy, life gets really comfortable, and I'll give you the things that you want and everything is gonna work out just like you had hoped. No, 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 no. Following Jesus is costly and there are times when his plans for our life takes us down paths we would not have chosen for ourselves. There are times when it's gonna cost us, but we have to remember when those times come, Jesus told us they were coming. We cannot, listen, we cannot lose heart thinking in those moments, where is Jesus in all of this? He's right there with you and he told you this was coming and this was going to happen. Do you realize that, that, that right now in our current culture that there are 300,000 believers, 300,000 believers who die annually around the world because of the followers of Jesus? 300,000 followers of Jesus die as martyrs every single year all over the world. You see, I think in the Western world, we don't recognize what's really happening. Do you realize that in in, in the last century, there are more Christians who have died because they are Christians than the previous 19 centuries combined? That's because following Jesus is costly. And I think somewhere in the Western world we have become so comfortable with our religious freedoms that what has resulted of that freedom that, listen, I love and enjoy is that we have become weak Christians who don't understand what real opposition is all about. That we come to times of trials and maybe we even see things in our nation where laws are shifting, that, that rights that we had that are being taken away. And listen, I love you enough to say this. I'm so exhausted with hearing Christians whine about what's not fair. I love you. Listen, our brothers and sisters around the world are losing their life because they follow Jesus. And listen, this is the joke of the morning. And I spent the morning wondering if people were gonna show up to church today because it was raining. We are so weak. And we have forgotten that following Jesus is costly. Here's the second truth. This one's the tough one. Most of our obedience will not, will not be rewarded in this life. Most of our obedience will not be rewarded in this life Following Jesus is costly, and the reward is going to have to wait. It will not be rewarded. Where do you get that? Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirty-nine, and all of and, and all these talking about the list of people, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, here's what he is saying. All of these believers that he is listing who pursued Jesus even unto death, that it cost them to follow Jesus, they live with a radical faith in the promises and the rewards that God had told them that would be theirs when Jesus arrived, when the Messiah would come. And so you got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and and Deborah and Samson and David and all the unnamed saints who grabbed a hold of those promises of what was gonna be theirs when Christ arrived and the reward that was gonna be theirs in him. And they pursued God with everything, believing in those promises and even suffering for those promises and for that faith. And every single one of them went to their grave having never seen the fulfillment of the promise. Never in this life holding the reward. Brothers and sisters, we live in that same time between the times. You see, the Old Testament saints looked at what was gonna come in the person of Jesus, the Messiah that was promised and all the reward and all of the great things that he was going to do and they live with this angst and anticipation and lost everything believing by faith in those promises not one of them coming to fruition and now we on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we now know that there is promise and there is reward and by faith we live and we pursue and we suffer for and we don't back down and we understand suffering is is coming our way and listen and most of the promises that we're holding on to will not be ours until Jesus returns we have to understand god owes us nothing but be of good cheer he will give us everything but not in this lifetime so when you get discouraged wondering why isn't god come through Why isn't the promise a reality? Where is the reward? Listen, I want to encourage you not to lose heart like this writer is wanting us to hear from this text. Don't lose heart. Why? Because you may go through 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of suffering and walking by faith, believing in the promises and the rewards that are yours in Christ and not see one of them in your lifetime, but make no mistake, you will see them. you see we think about what's happening around the world i watched a documentary last week of a guy who is in a muslim country and by the way the, the biggest revival in the world that's happening right now is happening in the middle east right now this one individual who is a little younger than me has has seen more than a million people he's led a million people to christ And and following Jesus is cause. They're not talking about, hey, should we go to church today or watch online because it's raining out. He and his wife are having this conversation. Hey, when they kick the door down, and I'll give you the rated PG version, and they abuse you, honey, what do you want me to do when they say the only way we'll stop is if you deny Jesus? What do you want me to do? how do you want me to respond? That's what our brothers and sisters are enduring all over the world and there is massive revival, more people coming to faith in Muslim con- countries where it costs you to be f- followers of Jesus than we could even think about in the U.S. And here's what he said. He said, how do you re- reconcile that suffering? And here's what he said. He says, what is 40 years of suffering and pain for an eternity of life with Jesus. Listen, following Jesus is costly and not all of your obedience will be rewarded in this lifetime. And here's number three, write this down, write this down. You ready for it? Listen, here's what the voice of the martyrs are saying to us today. Jesus is more valuable than everything in this world. Jesus is more valuable than everything in this world. You see, this is the story. We look at the severity of what these men and women went through through the book of Hebrews and what's, what happened in church history, what's happening around the world today. Do you know in church history, the, the evil emperor uh, uh, Nero hated Christians so much that he would, he would tell them that they didn't deny Christ, that he would cover them with fuel, tie them to a post, and then burn them alive to light up his garden at night. And these men and women chose to die in that horrible way as opposed to denying Jesus. How could anyone make that decision? It's because they saw Jesus is of greater value than everything in this world. I want you to think about that. Jesus is more valuable than everything in this world. Think about what everything means. Your health, your safety, your freedoms, your family, your house, your income, your job, your reputation, even your children. And it's so hard for us in our context, to think about that. But Jesus is more valuable than everything in this world. What do you see in the text here? Verse 35 says this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. So they had the opportunity to get out of the circumstances, but they chose not to. Why, the writer tells us, so that they might rise again to a better life. They saw Jesus as of greater value than everything in this world. It says through the story, they were were making these decisions because they were looking for a greater city. They were looking for a greater home. They were believing a greater promise and a greater reward than anything this world has to offer. It even tells us Moses, you know, Moses was, was adopted into Pharaoh's family even though he was a Hebrew. The most powerful man in the world was his grandfather by adoption. And when he discovered his identity, who he was, it says this, that, that, that Moses decided he was gonna leave those comforts, and it tells us why. Verse 26 of chapter 11, he considered Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt. I would, this, is, this is the summary of Moses' life. I would rather wander a wilderness for 80 years with nothing with Jesus than live a lifetime in the most powerful empire with all of the wealth of the world without him. That's powerful. You see this documentary I watched, they asked this man the question, this, this, this floored me. They said, what are you scared of the most? What do you fear the most being where you are doing what you're doing in the most hostile environment in the world? He said, what, what, what is your greatest fear? And here's what his answer Ready for it? My greatest fear is disappointing Jesus. Are you kidding me? And, and the, they press. Like, you're, fe- you're not fearful of, of like the suffering and the, all of those things. Are you describing the things that are being done. No, 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 no. I fear disappointing Jesus. And here's what he said. You know why? He goes, Jesus is my friend. And I love him. He's so precious to me, I would not want to do anything that would disappoint my friend. You see, believer, listen, when Jesus becomes the greatest value in your life, when he is seen in your life as of greater value than everything in this world, there is nothing you would not be willing to sacrifice to have him. I'll summarize it like this, and I'll end the sermon with this Jesus illustration. Jesus was asked the question. Jesus, tell us, what is the kingdom of God like? Here's Jesus' answer. The kingdom of God is like a man who stumbled across a treasure in a field, and he saw the treasure was so valuable that with joy in his heart, he went and he sold everything that he owned. He sold everything so that he could buy the land that had the treasure. And then he said, the kingdom of God is like this. It's about like a merchant who is searching the world for a precious pearl. In searching the world, he finally finds one of great price and he goes home and joy, He sells everything so that he could have the pearl. Jesus is saying life in me is like that. You think about that man that went and sold everything, the the merchant. I think of his family. We probably thought he was crazy, right? You're you're selling what? You're selling everything? Like you're you're selling your whole. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, why would you sell everything? You are so foolish. Why would you throw all of this away for some treasure, for some pearl? And with joy in his heart, I believe the man would look at his friends and family and say, but you didn't see the treasure. And you didn't hold the pearl. Because if you saw the treasure and you held the pearl, you would make the same decision. Church family, I want you to know as we walk in this life, there are gonna be so many things that compete for your attention, for your value. But Jesus is the greatest. And he is the highest value of anything this world has to offer. For some of you in this room, you have not followed Jesus. You've not trusted his death and resurrection for your life because there's some treasure that you're holding on to that's lesser than, than him. Would you be willing today to abandon that treasure? To find a greater treasure. To recognize what Christ has for you is greater than anything this world has to offer. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. For those of you in the room, you say, I I want the greater treasure. I need Jesus in my life. I want to sell everything for him. I want want to know him and for him to be my king and my Lord. I wanna follow him. I know it costs and I know that all my Obedience will not be rewarded, but I see that Jesus is more valuable than anything that I've been living for, and I'm done living for me. I want to live for him. If that is you in the room this morning, I'm going to get you to me a favor. Just slip your hand up really high. Thank you. Praise Jesus for that. Any others? Thank you. Thank you. Listen, if you raise your hand this morning and you, you, you're all in the back, there's people raising their hand. If you, if you never trust in Christ, we're gonna sing just for a moment. And I wanna give an opportunity and I just invite you, leave your seat in a moment. We're gonna have some decision encouragers here. I want you to just to come and just say, hey, I, I need what you're talking about. I'm tired. And I want Christ in my life. So if you lifted your hand, I'm gonna pray that you'll have the boldness just to slip out of your seat and come and talk. And let let us pray with you and let us help you discover the greater treasure and the greater pearl this morning. And listen, it's gonna take courage, but listen, following Jesus is costly. So this is your introduction to stepping into a world of discomfort to follow Jesus. So when I say amen in a moment, you're gonna leave your seat. Others of you who know Christ... The only question I have for you, you know Christ, so here's my question for you. What in your life do you value more than Jesus? And what are you willing, what are you not willing to do to be sold out for him? What do you value in your life greater than Jesus? And what are you not willing to give up to go all in with him? Pray through that, confess that, ask Jesus to help you go all in. Father, I love you. We give this time to you. Let your will be done. For those that raise their hand, by the power of the Holy Spirit, give them courage to come and be prayed for and begin a new life in you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name.